had said Travis is away on vacation, and I sometimes get to fill in for him from time to time. If, if you're new and you don't know who I am, my name is John Lemons, and I'm the minister of young adults here. Uh, but sometimes filling in for him includes more than, than preaching. Sometimes I, I have other duties that I have to fill to, to fill in for Travis. Uh, so this week, in addition to preaching today, I got to do two weddings. I did a wedding on Tuesday and a wedding on Saturday, yesterday. It feels like it was longer ago than that. <laughs> Y'all don't tell him that I said this, but I hope he gets back soon. <laughs> been on that regular pastor cycle and it's, it's been rough. Um, but it's been good. I, I have had a great time with two young couples uh, this week and in and, and previous weeks getting to know them and celebrating with them this, this past week has been great. And hopefully our time together this morning will be excellent as well. Now, if you are not a racing fan, you may not know that today is a big day in the racing world. I was not a racing fan when my father-in-law came to me at one point in time and and asked me if I would like to go with him to the Indianapolis 500. Now, if you don't know, that is that race is today. It is always the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. It is called the greatest spectacle in racing. And it has been around for, for years. He grew up in Indiana. It is a big deal there. But for me, it wasn't a big deal. I'd maybe seen 10 minutes in my lifetime up to that moment of an Indianapolis 500 race or an IndyCar race in general. It just wasn't my thing. But I, I went, like I said, I didn't grow up a fan, but it's an American institution. So I thought, why not? It could be one of those things that I cross off my list. And I did enjoy the race. But as I said, I maybe watched 10 minutes total of IndyCar racing prior to that. That race was so enthralling for me and engaging for me that I saw it two times that day. First time and last time. <laughs> I've watched about 10 minutes total since then. I may watch 10 minutes today now that, I'm, now that I'm talking about it. It just wasn't something that I grew up with. It wasn't something that I wanted to be uh, growing up. Nothing against anybody that is a race fan or a NASCAR fan maybe. It just wasn't my thing and it didn't mean as much to me as it did somebody grow, grow, who grew up in that culture, grew up looking forward to race day or looking forward to going to the race. What was my thing when I was younger, when I was a boy, was baseball. And I'll get to that in a moment. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to preach with you and the message that I spoke on, was I called church, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the basic premise of my message was this, in spite of our ugliness, in spite of the church's faults, there's still a lot of good that the church has done throughout history, and she is still the vehicle that God uses and gives to us to know him and to fulfill his mission in the world. I ended that message with a plea for us not to give up on the church, no, no matter how bad it might look now or at any other point in time. So you could consider my message today to be part two of that message. Whereas last time I spoke of reasons not to give up on the church, this time I want to present to us reasons why we should dive deeper into the church. And hear me out. 
Y'all are here on a holiday weekend, no less. I get that. So don't hear me as chastising any of us in this room or those that may be joining us from out of town, online, on TV, or anything like that. I do understand that people travel and, and we have vacations and, and things like that. So don't, don't hear me chastising that. You might be thinking, though, because you're here, that I'm sort of preaching to the choir. <laughs> I got an amen for that. That was awesome. <laughs> um, that threw me off. <laughs> But there are, there are a few reasons why I still feel like this is a worthwhile topic for, for me to discuss uh, for us today. The first one is this. It's probably the most obvious. There may be multiple people here that this is your first, second, or third time, or maybe you're, you're sort of irregular and you haven't plugged in deeper. And so for you today, I hope this message would be seen as a plea for you to dive deeper into the life of the church and the reasons why you should do this. Another reason why I think this would be good for us to hear today is I assume that there are others of you who have a friend or a loved one that wonders why they should even bother with the church. And I hope that both my message from a few weeks ago also paired with today's message and your own experience of why you believe in the church and how you have grown and benefited from the church and your own diving into the church. I hope those things combined can help you prepare to give some thoughtful reasoning to your discussions with those whom you care about. And finally, for those of you who are plugged in on the levels of which I am about to speak, I hope that this can serve as a refresher or a, a pep rally of sorts to remind you why we do this and to inspire you to keep plodding on. With that being said, you may have seen that the title for today's message is Knowing, Loving, Serving Together. And this is obviously a play on our church motto, but it's not on a play on our church motto because it is our motto. It's, it's because the ideas captured in that phrase have been on my mind and in my heart for a while. And I think our motto nails it. For what we are to do here on this earth and in this life our motto sums this up as well as anything that I have found. Let's look together at why. You heard the passages that were read a moment ago, Matthew chapter 22 and Revelation chapter 9, 19. One of these probably, I hope, is very familiar to you. The other one probably not so familiar. One of these passages summarizes pretty, pretty explicitly what life on earth should look like for us. The other passage is Less of a summary and more of a depiction of what life and eternity will look like for us. Why does that matter? It matters because these two are connected very differently, these, or very deeply. These two ideas are very connected and intertwined very deeply. Jesus says that everything on earth boils down to loving God and loving others. And when we look throughout the scriptures and when we see how eternity is presented to us, we see two consistent themes emerge, that of worshiping the Lord and that of fellowship with the people of God. We've adapted this in our young adult ministry and called it our core four. We ask every young adult to be committed to a regular pattern of worship, Bible study, service, and fellowship. But not because we chose those things arbitrarily, it's because they are spelled out for us in scripture as the pattern of life that we are to have as followers 
of God. So let's look at these more closely. I told you that I have uh, invested my life in baseball. When I was growing up, I played a lot of sandlot ball with my friends in my neighborhood. And that's fun and you can learn a lot about the game that way. But when you play sandlot ball, you kind of make up your own rules and every neighborhood has their own rules. And so we would have certain rules like if anytime you hit it to right field, it was an out. Or we had another rule that we called pitcher's poison and things like that. So there were things that I learned and, and things that in playing baseball growing up weren't really a regular part of the game. So when I was 10 years old, I said to my parents, hey, I'd like to play in the local little league. And they signed me up to do that. I was 10 years old. I had my own baseball card. I almost put it in the bulletin for you, but there's really a secret society that gets to see what that, that baseball card looks like. But if you're in that secret society and you turned it over, you would look on the back and you would see my, my stats, the things that I liked that were my favorite things when I was 10 years old. Things like my favorite players at the time, Cal Ripken Jr. and Ken Griffey Jr. It was a, it was a tie. Things like my favorite television show, Double Dare. Things like my favorite food, Captain Crunch, Crunch Berries. <laughs> Things like my favorite musical artist at the time, Paula Abdul. <laughs> but through playing baseball at 10 years old and, and being introduced to the formal version of the sport, I began to learn things and know things about the game and how they applied from simple things like when to tag a runner or when to touch the base or when you're on the bases as a, as a runner, when do I run and when do I stay? And then more complicated things like when do you bunt a runner over or why is it a good idea for a, a pitcher to have a fastball and a changeup in his arsenal? The more time I spent around the game and in the game, the more I began to know about the game. When asked what was the most important thing, what summed up all of life for us, Jesus responded, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. Now, we may think that this idea would go more with the loving portion of knowing, loving, serving. But if we look closely, we see that knowing and loving are very intertwined and, and they work together very deeply. And if we look closely, we can get a bigger picture idea of what Jesus is talking about when he says to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. When Jesus is saying this, he is quoting Deuteronomy chapter six. And if you go to Deuteronomy chapter six and read and you see the passage where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you could read on and see what else it says because this is what would have jumped into the minds of the hearers in Jesus's time. And here's what the passage goes on to say. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is Moses writing right after he, he writes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. He writes this, what does that sound like? That sounds like Bible study. That sounds like early devotional life. That sounds like knowing. And Jesus says it sums up the one thing we should be doing in our time here on earth. But it's not the only thing. Why and what do we need to know? 
As I mentioned, this is closely related to loving. Now, when I first started playing baseball, it was clearly the sport that I was best in. That doesn't mean I was good at it. I was just better at it than the other sports that I was not good at. But I was more a fan at the time of football. But as I aged and I began to understand a little bit more about the strategies and the the idiosyncrasies of baseball, and I began to realize how severely limited my own ability was versus that of a major leaguer. And as I began to develop an appreciation for the athleticism and the skill that it takes to play the game, and as a team moved to my hometown of Washington, D.C., and gave me something to latch onto as I was emerging as an adult, I began to love the game. And this grew out of my knowledge of the game that came from my early engagement of it, starting at 10 years old. Similarly, we see in our passage in Revelation today, what the fruit of loving God and knowing God produces. It produces the worship of God. Those who have determined, who have been determined to be God's people are foreseen as worshiping Him In the end, they are described as a great multitude who worship like the roar of a rushing water. The fruit of loving God with all your heart on earth is manifested in heaven or in eternity. God has given us the gifts of Bible study and worship on earth as a means to prepare ourselves for the next life, which begs a few questions. One, how seriously are we to take this? Do we value corporate worship and Bible study? Do we value knowing and loving God? And two, what can we be without them or can we be anything? Does scripture, does God give us any leeway with this? Let's come back to this in a moment. In 2013, growing out of my knowledge of baseball and my love for baseball. And by the way, let me take a quick time out and realize I'm using a lot of sports analogies here. And I know that's like the most stereotypical preacher thing I can do. And I do apologize if sports analogies aren't your thing. I am going somewhere, so, so bear with me on this. In 2013, because of my knowledge of baseball and my, my love for baseball, and because of seeing a need in the community that I was in at the time, I started a baseball and softball league for children. There, there were several reasons for this. Baseball's lack of a draw of interest from young children has been well chronicled for, for several years. And the system that I feel that we as adults have created for our children is one in which a few kids, maybe one out of five, maybe one out of 10, excel and, and learn the game and go on to enjoy it. And if your kid is one of those kids, that's fantastic. But for the others, the four out of five or the the nine out of 10, we lose them forever with no appreciation for the game whatsoever as they grow and as they become adults. I saw leagues where kids like me, eight, nine, 10 year old boys and girls who had never played before would sign up and would be completely lost and behind the curve because they didn't start playing when they were four years old. And to compound that problem, they hardly practiced. And when the teams that they were on did practice, it usually consisted of nine kids standing around the field while the coach pitched to one kid at a pace of about four pitches a minute. And we wonder why kids hate baseball. 
So I started a league at the church I was at with the goal to teach kids how to learn and love the game and learn and love their God. We practiced a bit more than other leagues around us and we made sure that the practices were structured and fun and that kids were broken up into small groups. I wanted kids to have an interest and appreciation for baseball and pass that on to other kids or pass that on through their family line. And if we could use it as a vehicle to introduce them to the gospel as well, then, then even better. But I saw this need where I could couple my love for the gospel and my love for baseball and put them together and serve baseball, serve my church, serve my community. Our first year that we did it, we surveyed people that we knew, asked them if they'd be interested in it. We, we got the surveys back, we analyzed them, we guessed that we'd have about 100 kids our first year. We ended up having 155. Four years later, our fourth season, we had about 370 children. So this obviously resonated with people and with families in our community. But again, it was a result of the outgrowth of knowing and loving baseball and it was through that that I was able to embark on serving baseball. Coupled with the command in scripture to love God is the command to love others. And this is probably one of the most misunderstood aspects of our faith. As a result of the industrial age and the age of individualistic expression, we have individualized our faith. In some ways, this has been a great thing. You should take personal responsibility for your faith and personal responsibility for your growth in it. But in other ways, this has been quite disastrous. It has led to what once was one of my favorite and most influential authors saying that he doesn't go much to church anymore because he experiences God elsewhere, like in his work or when he gathers with his friends. It's led to quotes that you may have seen that say something like, I'd rather be in the mountains thinking about God than in church thinking about the mountains. Now, by the way, some of y'all might be able to relate to this. I know you're waiting for me to finish, some of you, so that you can go on out to the lake. You might have the car loaded up. You might have the, the boat on the trailer in the parking lot, and you're ready to go. That's not, I'm not talking about you. Um, but what this is saying, what we are talking about, this idea of can you be somewhere? Can you, can you think about God at a place like the mountains and skip out on the community of believers? Can you experience God in the work that you do or in maybe some community service you do and skip out on the community with believers? The problem with this, this idea that has permeated our culture and that has grown out of this individualization we have, uh, we have brought into the way we express our faith is that it disconnects us from others. God doesn't call us to think about him. It's a nice thing to do. It's a lot like going to the batting cages and hitting baseballs. It's helpful, but at the end of the day, that's not the game. The game is something else entirely. Further, we have turned the mission of God into a mission to get us to heaven, when in reality, it is the very opposite of that. It is about bringing heaven to earth. This is modeled for us in Jesus, who has become one of us, who has died as one of us, and who was raised to a new life in a resurrected body as what Paul calls the first fruit of what is to come. We will have new life and resurrected bodies 
one day. The implications of this are immense. And if you want to read more about it, I would suggest a book by a theologian named N.T. Wright called Surprised by Hope. To illustrate this a little bit further, I would like to share a few quotes from that book with you. Here's what he says. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is about. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself. What you do in the present will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present, li the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building God's kingdom. People who believe in the resurrection and God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. Our service for the kingdom can take many forms. Some of us have great skills with our hands. Others have great business acumen. Others are amazing artists. No two forms of service for us need to look the same. The important thing to bear in mind is that we are called to serve. And that comes on the heels of being charged in scripture to know and to love. Knowing, loving, and serving all go together. They're not arbitrary. They're all a part of the plan for us and for those we are called here to bring the kingdom to. Which brings me to our final word, together. The picture of the church, of the people of God that we are given in scripture is one of a people collected together. In the passage that we read today in Revelation, they are portrayed as the people of God often are in eternity as engaging in a feast. It's a party celebrating what God has done. Just as the Jews under the old covenant had many feasts and festivals in their time on earth, those were, as Paul says to us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, a shadow of the things to come. There's a lot more partying and fellowshipping and feasting to come over what God has done for us. Fellowshipping together sometimes gets knocked in Christian circles, but it is a biblical concept. And when we do it in this life, it becomes a foretaste of what we will be, what we will be doing in the next life. It is important to know, to love and to serve, and it is important to fellowship, to celebrate the goodness of God and what he has done for us. It is intended for us to be together. I think the reason why we confuse all this and either we forget why we do all of this or, or why we stay on the fringes of church altogether, some of us, stems from our misunderstanding of what comes next. The Bible paints a picture not of us going to heaven when we die to play harps and float on clouds, no disrespect to Katie. <laughs> but the Bible doesn't paint that picture for us. The picture the Bible paints is that those who are redeemed in God will go to heaven until Christ returns to rule on earth, at which point we will be given, given resurrection bodies. 
much like Jesus, and charged to reign and rule with him on a redeemed earth, at which point we will live life, a fuller life than we have ever known. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his writings. If you wanna read a more contemporary book, Heaven by Randy Alcorn talks about this. Living a more fuller version of life than we could possibly imagine, a resurrected, redeemed life. In the meantime, until we get there, we are called to be a kingdom outpost in a fallen world. God once dwelt on the earth in a temple, then he dwelt on the earth in the person of Christ, and now he dwells on the earth through the the spirit-empowered collection of believers known as the church. There is no such thing as solo Christianity. We are not meant to do this alone. God redeems us together. If you understand that, there is no way to individualize our faith or make it about feeling God when we work or when we visit the mountains and think about him. There's no way to do that and be a part in all that is happening. This is the mission of God and is what he is at work doing and it is what we are charged to do. We can't do this without diving deeper into the mission of the church to know, love, serve, and be together. So let me encourage you, those of you that are here, this is why you are here. It is not arbitrary and it is very connected. It's very much connected to what God intends to do with the world and with our future. Our encouragement for you to be committed to worship and to Bible study and to service and to fellowship all play a role with one another. Heaven and the new earth aren't going to be me and Jesus time. It's going to be me with the whole family of God's people living life to the fullest with incorruptible bodies. We are called to love God and love others on earth because we are called to life with God and life with others in eternity. Let me say that again. We are called to love God and love others on earth because we are called to life with God and life with others in eternity. Last year, after a lifetime of investing in knowing, loving, and serving baseball, I got to go to the Major League Baseball All-Star Game and celebrate with a whole bunch of other people who had spent their lives knowing, loving, and serving baseball. I took a picture with the World Series trophy. I met players, former and current Major League Baseball players. I met celebrities, Chris Jackson, who played uh, George Washington in Hamilton on Broadway. He was there. My sister pointed him out to me. I had no idea who he was. And then when I found out, I was like, my my wife would like a picture of that. So I got some brownie points. (laughs) I got to go to the home run derby and I got to see our hometown player, Bryce Harper, who I will not share my opinion of now because he plays on a different team. But at the time, he was our hometown guy and he came from behind to win the home run derby and the whole stadium there was there to see him and to hope that he did that and he did it and it was electric. And it was electric because I'd spent my lifetime investing in this game and I had reached the pinnacle really of what it is about. Was it more electric than the Indianapolis 500? Objectively, 
I don't know, but subjectively to me, it was because I had spent so much time in my life investing in this game, knowing, loving, and serving this game. And then here I was together with other people who had done the same. And it meant more to me and it meant more to them to those than, than it did to those who didn't have that investment. And it meant more to me than Indianapolis 500 did, as great as that was, because I did not have that investment in that. Are you plugged in to a regular pattern of Bible study, worship, fellowship, and service? Does heaven sound like heaven to you? If yes, then be encouraged and know that you are not involved in a random checklist of do's and don'ts, but rather a dress rehearsal for a grand stage that is yet to come. And if not, then dive deeper and start cultivating your heart for the world that you were made for. For some of us, it's an acquired taste, but when you get in and you get your feet wet and you get your hands dirty, you'll find that it is the thing that your heart longs for and it is the thing that you were created for. We are not meant to do this alone. We are not meant to do this on the fringes. We are meant to do this together, corporately. Worshiping, Bible study, fellowship, and service are the ways that God fits us for eternity and the vehicles that he gives us to be outposts of his kingdom here and now, to bring others with us, to dive deeper into what he has for us, both now and in the age to come. Let me encourage you to jump in and dive deeper.